Good morning, everyone. Nice to see, uh, well, nice to see you today. I can't see most of your faces, but it's great to see you. Um, and uh, I was just saying, my, my peripheral vision's really good, but we're so spread apart, it's hard to see everybody all the time. But yeah, it's great to be in church. Welcome to those who are online. Glad that you're with us today. Uh, please leave us comments and feedback. Uh, share the message today. Share the service today. And uh, just let people know uh, what's happening. Great to be in Whitburn Pentecostal Church today. I don't know about you. Uh, I just woke up this morning feeling really blessed. Um, well, actually, um, just, just for the sunshine, just for breath in my lungs, the simple things that we enjoy. And it's great to be in his presence. It's great to have the health and strength to be here and to be in his presence today. And we're going to welcome uh, God into our time today. And, you know, for those who are online, remember to just get yourselves ready for communion. Uh, if you want to join in with us uh, uh, for communion today as well. Um, let's just pray as we begin our time together in his presence today. Father, we thank you that you're here. Lord, before we even entered the building, you were here. Father, you live within us. And Father, it's just it's such a mystery that the God who created everything we can see lives within us, that your Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. And we are so thankful today that you live in our hearts, that you're interested in us, that you care for us. Father, that your heart is for us, that your hand is upon us. And Father, we thank you for your blessings. Father, your word says that they're new every morning. And Father, we experience that day after day after day. And Father, we just take so many things for granted. And so, Father, we just want to express our thanks to you today. Father, we thank you today for the, the fact that the sun is shining and uh, it heats up our faces. Father, it heats up our bodies and, and it just brings joy to our hearts to see it. Father, that we have breath in our lungs today. And Father, we have the, the ability to praise you when we rise in the morning uh, and just to give our thanks to you and to sing our songs to you. And Father, we just pray that you do something in our presence today that would give glory to you. Lord, may everything that is said and done in this place bring glory to you today because we're, we're here to worship you. Just by the very fact that we're uh, being part of this service, whether it's today or maybe some people watching this uh, service or listening to it later on the podcast, we're here to glorify you. And Father, we ask that you be glorified in our lives and that the name of Jesus would be lifted up in this church today and every day. And then we ask these things in his name. Amen. So we're going to worship God through song. Uh, Sarah's going to lead us. Remember that we're not permitted to sing at the moment. Um, we just need to be patient. We've had 14 months of being patient. Um, just <laughs> 14 months. Eh? <laughs> Sounds like a drop in the ocean when you say it like that. But let's just be patient uh, just a little while longer. Um, we can praise in our own uh, spirits, but when we're home, we can uh, listen again, we can put on music, we can sing to our hearts content in our own homes, and I encourage you to do that. Um, for those who travel to and from work, get that CD in the car and get it turned up and give it loudly, okay? <laughs> but we're going to worship God through song today, uh, so let's worship.
incredible thing if you think about the words that we're singing here this morning just incredible just the the fact that the church was born and then the spirit lit the flame man that day of Pentecost incredible now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel shall not faint by his blood and in his name in his freedom I am free I don't know about you I love the truth of the gospel the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, yeah? But it also says that he who the Son, Jesus, has set free is free indeed. You can be free, free from everything that would bind you, free from the, the guilt of the past, the sins of the past, the tragedies of the past. You can live a life of absolute freedom in Christ. And that's what I encourage us to keep pressing into. For those who are online as well, maybe you've never experienced the power of Jesus in your life. He's just a prayer away and the Holy Spirit can come into your life. Maybe uh, some of us here today, we need just a fresh touch from God. I just encourage us as we take communion to reach out to God and say, I, I need a fresh touch from you today. I need something fresh in my life. Come and fill me anew. I think it should be a daily pursuit actually asking the Holy Spirit to come in and to fill us and, and to cause us to overflow with his power and uh, the, the very love of God himself. I'm going to read a few verses from the Bible as we prepare to, to take communion and we're in Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today. It says, and he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. That's Jesus he, with his disciples it's the Last Supper, they're celebrating Passover, which for us has become something known as the Lord's Supper. Some people call it the, the Eucharist. There are lots of different names for it. And it says that Jesus took the cup. Did you know that there were four cups during Passover? There were four cups which they would take. And it says that he takes this cup, and it's actually the third cup during that Passover celebration that he takes. It's the cup of redemption to be bought back. Our sin holds us in, in debt to the very law of God. Our sin holds us in that debt. And until we accept the forgiveness of Jesus, we're still in debt. 
But Jesus comes and he, he offers that forgiveness. And when we accept it, that debt is paid. It's been paid by Jesus through the shedding of his blood. We read that there. We sung that in that song there. By his blood and in his name and in his freedom, I am free. And so Jesus takes this cup, this cup of redemption, and he says, I'm going to redeem you with my power. I'm going to redeem you by my blood. This is what he goes on to say. He says, he gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant, this new covenant, a new agreement, a new contract between God and people, something that was brand new for the people who lived in this day and it's brand new for us as well when we accept it. This covenant, this contract, this agreement between God and his people. It's, and he talks about his blood. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. There's coming a day where we'll meet Jesus face to face and we'll have the utter joy of fellowship with him when he drinks the cup with us, when we experience his presence without any of the limitations that we have in the life that we live just now in this tent, as Paul talks about. He talks about our bodies as a tent. We'll be free from limitation. And so as we take the bread and the wine this morning, let's remember that body of Jesus which was broken for us. Let's remember that blood of Jesus which was poured out for us. Let's just prepare to take the, the bread together. Father, we thank you for the, the body of Jesus which was broken for us. And Father, we just think of that, this, this incredible man called Jesus, Father, who for 30 of his years lived in obscurity. Nobody knew that he was anything special. And Father, even in that place, even in that place of nobody knowing who he was, he still lived in obedience to you. And Father, even that body, as he, as he lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, he, he didn't sin. He never did anything wrong. He never thought a wrong thought. He never spoke a wrong word. He never did a wrong thing. And so, Father, we thank you that in his body, he honored you. And Father, in his punishment and his death, and even in his resurrection, Father, he honored you. And Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus, that your spirit lived in that body without measure and that he lived holy and he lived holy. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus this morning. We remember, we remember the punishment he took upon himself. We remember that cross. We remember all that he did for us as we take this bread this morning. Father, may we experience the very life of God as we take this bread as we share together. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Let's take the bread together. Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus which was poured out on our behalf. Father, your word says, and we see it in the Old Testament, this sacrificial system where animals were sacrificed and blood was shed so that people's sins could be forgiven. But we realize it was such an incomplete system. We realize, though, that Jesus was that once and for all sacrifice for, for all sin, for all people, for all time, past, present, and future. And Father, we thank you that his blood which was shed for us is able to make us clean, is able to make us holy, is able to make us pure. And in that, we're able to find forgiveness. In that, we're able to find freedom. And so, Father, we thank you for these realities in our lives. And may we live in them more fully, day by day by day. And Father, we pray that we would experience that reality as we take the wine just now. Father, as we give thanks to you for that blood which was shed for us, Father, may we experience the life, the freedom, the forgiveness that comes through the blood of Jesus. And we ask these things in his name. Let's take the wine together.
Father, we recognize that the very fact that we come together as church is an act of worship to you. Father, whether we're here in the building in person or whether we're joining online, maybe we're joining online later, a later date. Father, we, we, we just declare this as an act of worship to you. Father, taking bread and wine together, again, it's an act of worship. Father, it's something that Jesus has commanded us to do. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Father, we, we do that to remember all that he has accomplished for us. But we, we thank you, Father, that it wasn't just the end of the story, that he was resurrected. And on that third day, he rose to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, that you raised him to life. And Father, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is able to work in us today. Father, is able to accomplish things that we could never even begin to ask or imagine of. And so, Father, we give ourselves to you. Father, we give ourselves wholly to you today as an act of worship. Father, as an expression of our love, we give ourselves wholly to you today. And Father, we ask that you would come and that you would fill us to overflowing. Father, that you'd fill us with your spirit. Father, we invite you to come. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and fill us to overflowing. We pray that as we go into a new week, that you would fill us and that you would give us what we need for this week. But Father, we pray that there would be an abundance. We pray that there would be an overflow in our lives, that you would do incredible things in us and through us. Father, even though we're restricted in so many ways, Father, you are not restricted in any way. And we thank you for that. And so, Father, we just surrender to you today and we ask that you would come in to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And maybe there are people even today, at this point in time, maybe later, uh, even tuning into this service on on YouTube or, or wherever, there may be people who've never invited Jesus into their life before. And I just encourage you to do that. It's a simple prayer. Just invite Jesus to come in, to make you clean, to forgive you. And the Holy Spirit will come into your life and make you a new person. It's the beginning of a process. It's the beginning of a new life. And so, Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself, glorify your Son. Holy Spirit, come. We need you in these moments as we come around your word to to speak. Holy Spirit, it's your voice that we want to hear. Not the voice of man or the thoughts of man. We need to hear what you want to say. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak into this congregation, into all who are joining together online. Father, we invite you to speak through your spirit today. May our eyes and ears be open to all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. It's so incredible to be in God's presence, isn't it? It's just just phenomenal. and I need to interrupt it by taking a, a picture. I'm really sorry. I hate doing this, but uh, nevertheless, it's part of what we're doing just to kind of keep everybody safe. Uh, so give me a wee second. Oh, I need to come up. There's a funny thing in the way there. Okay, get that bit out of the way. Oh. Just a reminder that on Monday at 9.30, you can join in the prayer time on Zoom. If you've never been part of that, and you're free during the day, you can join in the prayer time in Zoom. We'll send The links have already been sent out, but we'll send you again. Wednesday we meet uh, for prayer at 7.30, again on Zoom. And so can I encourage you to get involved in that? Uh, Oxygen will be on this week again online. A reminder that the 16th of May is Celebration Sunday. So we'll be here uh, to really look at the, the life of the church. And then after the service, we'll have the AGM part. Uh, the kind of businessy official part um, and that will go out on Zoom as well for everybody who's uh, not able to manage to be here in person and a reminder that on the 23rd of May we'll have a visiting speaker woohoo okay I'm excited about that I don't know about you <laughs> I get a wee rest that's quite nice uh, we'll have Alan Ross with us Alan is uh, Andrew Smith's associate down in uh, Gateway Church uh, down in Bridgeton and uh, I'm looking forward to Alan coming I, I've got to know Alan over the last uh, number of years and uh, it's great uh, to, to enjoy fellowship with him and he brings a real prophetic edge uh, to, to what he says in his ministry And so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to pray just for a second. There are some people in the church that we need to pray for. Um, Just uh, can I encourage you to keep remembering uh, George in your prayers. Um, George isn't in a good way in the Western, so let's keep praying for George and for Jean and also for Bet. And Bet is really kind of struggling to to make progress to get some traction uh, with healing. So let's let's pray for her as well and just for others uh, as we pray today. Father, we ask... 
we come before you and we ask for your power to be demonstrated in our lives, to be visible in our lives. Father, we thank you that to each person the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given in different ways. But Father, we want to see your Holy Spirit at work. We want to see the evidence of your Holy Spirit at work. And so, Father, we just bring bet before you. And Father, we ask that there'd be that evidence of your Holy Spirit at work in her through healing power. And Father, we just lift her before you. And Father, we ask that your hand would be upon her, bring healing into her body. And Father, we pray uh, for our family, Lord. We pray that you would just keep your hand upon them and that you would bless them with a real understanding of who you are. Father, we thank you for George and Jean. And Lord, they're in a, a difficult place just now. And Father, we just lift George in particular before you. Father, we pray for your peace just to surround him. And Father, we just think about your peace. It's a peace that goes beyond understanding. And Father, we thank you for it. And Lord, we pray for that peace to fill their hearts. Father, we pray that that peace would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for your strength to be in them and to be upon them. And Father, we just thank you for the family who uh, are, are so supportive. And Lord, for this church family who are so supportive as well. And Father, we just pray your blessing upon them. Lord, we pray that blessing of peace and that blessing of strength to be upon them. And Father, we, we pray again for Pastor Daly uh, down in Glasgow. Lord, we just ask for a complete healing in his body. Lord, we pray uh, for a real miracle in his body. Lord, uh, a, a young man who just uh, needs that touch from you. And so, Father, we pray that you would minister into that situation with healing and minister into his family and into the church uh, family that he looks after down there. Lord, we just ask that your hand would be upon them and that you would strengthen them and give them peace. And Father, I just pray as well for all who are in the workplace this week, Father, for all who will face uh, who knows what sort of situations this week. And Father, I just pray that you would help the people in, who, who will be in the workplace this week, Father, help them with the challenges that they're experiencing. Father, give them wisdom and strength and understanding and favor. Lord, we ask that your hand would be upon them. And Father, we just ask that you would cause them to prosper in the workplace. May they shine for you. And Father, we just pray for this whole congregation. Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon us. Lord, we're still walking through difficult times together, but Lord, we're walking together, and we thank you for that. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to walk um, as, as you would have us walk. And so, Father, we, we pray as well as we turn to your word um, in just the next couple of minutes, Lord, that you uh, would really open our eyes and ears to hear what you would have us see and hear today. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak that your voice would be heard above everything else today, that your voice would be heard and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Yes. I didn't think I had the right glasses on. Sorry. I can see my notes, but I can't see you now. <laughs> the problems of age, isn't it? Um, so today I've got a message to share which comes off the back of the message from last week. And I've just simply entitled it, A King Called Saul. Um, last week, and, and, and by the way, I'm not going to read all these verses. First Samuel 8 through to First Samuel 31, 24 chapters. I'm not going to read 24 chapters today. Um, I would like to, believe me, I would like to read that and then talk about uh, what we've read. But it would take up probably about an hour just to read the verses um, but that's where our message today is coming from. You know, last week I asked a question, what is the church? And I talked about the importance of, of us. We are the church. The church is people. And I talked about the importance of our character, who God is making us to be, and how character, in my view, is way more important than gift. You can be the most gifted person in life, and I've seen this myself, gifted people, but there can be character issues underneath and that will always come to the surface. I talked about some of the, the, the sort of character traits that we should have as, as Christians, things like integrity, faithfulness, humility, compassion, servant-heartedness, all these types of things. When people see us as the church, that's what they should see. And Jesus had these traits in abundance. You know, sometimes you wonder if the message which you're sharing is the right message. Do you know twice this week? And maybe it's not the message for you. Maybe it's the message for me. 
Okay, so if, if, if nobody else gets this, and I get it, I'm quite happy. <laughs> but remember that the church is the, is the, the manifestation of the wisdom of God to, to a, a spiritual world. We are that manifestation. This is how God has chosen to display his wisdom, is through the church. And I want my life to be like that. I want the wisdom of God to be evident in my life. I read this week something that Billy Graham said. Integrity is the glue that holds our way of life together. We must constantly strive to keep our integrity intact. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. I read that this week and it really struck me. And I read other things that were just, it's what I'd been thinking about and preaching about last week. And so I want us to just camp around this for a little longer, okay? I, I like that whole idea, campfire. Do you like having a campfire and sitting around a campfire? I like setting a fire and sitting around it. It focuses us. It, there's that warmth, but there's also the light and that conversation that happens around the campfire. And I want to just think about uh, three kings, perhaps. Not, uh, not today, obviously, we'll think about Saul. But if you think about the first three kings of Israel, Saul was the first, David was the second, and Solomon was the third. And we can learn so much from these guys, from so many people in life, about, uh, about character and about some of the issues that can sometimes be underneath our characters. And so I want to think about Solomon today, uh, sorry, Saul today, and I want to think about beginning, middle, and end. Beginning, middle, and end. I don't know if you remember, we had a visiting speaker back in 2019 called Stephen Matthew, and I was on something, uh, one social media platform, and he, he put this post on social media talking about life stages, and I remember making a comment jokingly that you need to be old enough to realize that life has stages. So for the young people in today, here today, you will not necessarily understand that life has stages. But the older you get, the more you realize that life has stages. Sometimes it's as easy as beginning, middle, and end. And uh, I don't know what it's like to live in my 60s. I was going to make a joke and say my 50s, but that wouldn't be true. I'd be lacking integrity if I did that. But I don't know what it's like to live in my 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I've never been there. And so I can't speak into that stage of life with experience. But I am interested in understanding the, the, the things that are part of our lives, the, the questions that we ask, the things that we wrestle with at all the different stages. Because at the end of the day, the church is this gathering of people from all walks of life, from all ages and all stages, not just in our physical development, but also in our spiritual development. And I think about this when I come to bring a message, and I'm like, Lord, you must be kidding. How can I speak to, to the singles and the marrieds and the old and the young and the this and the that? And man, it's just an impossible task. Um, but, but we're going to try it anyway. And if you think about your life, your, your life is like a book. Beginning, middle, and end. All of us are in the same. How, how many and how long the chapters of each stage is different for each one of us, we don't know. Because some of the pages uh, for us are as yet unwritten. But I want to do as much today to influence tomorrow as I can. I want to understand life. I want to understand its stages. I want to understand its challenges at all the different stages so that we can grow and continue to grow in Christ. I remember when we were youth leaders, way, way back in the, the ancient days, um, when we were still young, um, and my mantra to the young people at that time, and some of them were only a few years younger than us, it was just bizarre, um, but my mantra was don't waste Time. Don't waste time. Sorry, our lives are a book. <laughs> Don't waste time. <laughs> because your time is your life. Your time is your life. And the older you get, and some people will go, I get it. The older you get, the more you realize how precious time actually is. Because it goes so quickly. I look at my life, I remember, I make this joke often, um, we started a thing in the church, and I was just in my, my mid-twenties, it was called the over-fifties, and I was like, over-fifties, that's ancient. I know I've made that joke before, 
And it just felt like it was ancient. But when you're in your 20s and younger, it just seems like a million miles away. And some of you guys are looking at me as if to say, what is he talking about? Hurry up, move on. (laughs) But your time is your life. I read that just recently. Your time is your life. And I don't know about you, I want to make the most of my life that I can. I want to make the most of today. I want to make the most of tomorrow and next week and the week after. I want to make the most of it. And so when I read the Bible, I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to see principles, I'm trying to see what the Holy Spirit wants me to see, needs me to see in my own life. And I don't know about you, you know, sometimes I ask this question, you know, remember we talked about uh, Elijah and the widow and the son and all that. Remember we did that message and I, I said, who do you identify with in the story? Do you identify as the, the prophet, the kind of hero guy who comes along and saves the day? Is that, when you read the story, is that who you envisage yourself as? Or do you envisage yourself as the, the, the person who is, who's always needing the help? It's always me. It's like, oh, I, I need help again, you know? Or, or the kind of victim, you know. But we, we can envisage ourselves as all sorts of different people as we read the Bible. And the challenge sometimes, when we look at a character like Saul, as we'll see in just a little second, there's sometimes a challenge in identifying with a person who seems to be getting it all wrong. But today, I want to encourage us to identify with Saul because it's only as we begin to honestly identify with what we're reading in Scripture that the Holy Spirit can speak to us. And I want to suggest something that we see in Saul's life, and it's, a, it's these fault lines which run through his life. And I want to suggest that fault lines are where our restless present meets our unresolved past. Fault lines character deficiencies, flaws that are in our lives. I don't know if if you've ever studied uh, earthquakes. I I did that when I was in geography at school. And how there's these plates, and it's when the plates meet in in this friction that it causes earthquakes. I want to suggest that that is our, our restless present meeting our unresolved past. And we have these fault lines. They are character flaws in our lives. And I want to think about that this morning. You see, we would rather not see ourselves in somebody like Saul. I'd rather see myself as the hero figure. I'd rather be the David when he's fighting Goliath. And we'll maybe think about that next week. But Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears that we might see and hear what you want us to see and hear about ourselves today. Father, as we read your word, we we pray that it would read us, that it would read our hearts, that that it would read our thoughts and our intentions. I want to start at the beginning. I'm not going to read hundreds of verses, but I am going to read some verses from these passages. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of Bechorath, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. An easy one at the end. All these names. I remember hearing somebody say, oh, the Bible can't be true. It's got people like John and Luke in it. They're just made up names. I'm like, Have you read the Old Testament? (laughs) Anyway, he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. And I've highlighted something that the authorized version says here about Saul's dad, a mighty man of power. That's what the authorized version of the Bible, the King James says, he was a mighty man of power. And I don't know about you, If I was looking at my dad and thinking, he's a mighty man of power, I'm thinking, I've got something to live up to here. Yeah? And I think there's something in Saul's life that's still trying to live up to this mighty man of power. Saul had everything going for him. He had a good family heritage. His dad, as we've said, is a mighty man of power, a warrior, a a person of valor and power. Saul was handsome. He was tall. And he looked the part. I've never known what it's like to be tall, okay? <laughs> if, I, if I was standing next to Saul, he'd be more than a head bigger than me, I think. He would be head and shoulders above me. This man that you continue to look up to, you know, for those of us of my disposition, we're always looking up to other people, aren't we? It's like, hey, how are you doing today? What's the weather like up there? But this is Saul. This is a man who, a young man who is impressive. Did you know that the name Saul means desired? 
The name, it's in his name. It means desired. Saul was desired. This handsome, young, tall guy who made such a great impression. But if we can learn something from this, it's the danger of first impressions. The prejudicial nature of first impressions. Remember I said this last week. All that is gold doesn't glitter. And the other side of it is true as well. All that glitters isn't gold. We can't always believe what we see, certainly when it comes to people. Looks can be deceiving. It's also not always easy to see the undercurrents in people's lives. When you meet them for the first time, people can look the part, they can say the right things, they can look as if they're achieving great things, but we don't always see the undercurrents in their lives. And it's this whole thing about character that is so important, that that current, that deep flow of, of who we are, as we talked about last week. You know, think about the process of a job application, okay? You, you get asked all these questions about what you've done, your qualifications, your knowledge, your achievement, your skills, you know, all these things that you've achieved and done. This is what the interview, uh, the application process is looking at. But when you sit before an interviewer, yeah, they're looking at all that, but what are they looking at? They're looking to try and judge your character. Who is this person? Do I want this person to work in my company? Will I be able to trust this person? Will they be honest with the finances? Will they be honest with the timesheet? And that's what we're looking for in people. We might not address that in the interview process or the application process, but the interviewer is looking, trying to see underneath the surface and to see what kind of person we are. I said this before, I'm pretty sure, that I don't get employed to make sure that I'm a good character. That's not why the church pays my wages at the end of the day. I don't get paid to be a good character. But if I have a character hiccup, if something goes wrong in my life, if there was a problem underneath the surface, it would put my job in jeopardy as a pastor. Although I'm not employed to look after my character, it's so important that people in positions of leadership are people of good character. I know what it's like. I've worked beside people and I've been asked to do things that I had to say, I, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I know I've shared these things before. But let's take a wee, a wee further look at, at Saul. You see, God chose Saul to be king. And Samuel anointed him as king. But Saul, he kept quiet about it all. If you read these passages, God has already come and spoken to Saul. And he's like, oh, I'm going to be king. And rather than tell people about it that he should have told about it, he, he kept quiet. And I'm thinking, why, why did he keep quiet? God, God did something in Saul. God changed his heart. And we read about Saul uh, prophesying. He came into contact with some prophets and he began to prophesy. And people were saying, what's happening to Saul? Something's happened. Something's changed. He's beginning to prophesy. Gift. The gift of prophecy versus character. Yeah. Sorry to keep going on about the same stuff, but that's where we're at today. And everything seems to be going well for Saul. But when they went to anoint him as king officially and recognize him as king, he was nowhere to be seen. They're like, where's Saul? And they actually, they actually prayed saying, where's Saul? And God said to them, he's over there hiding in the stuff. Hiding amongst the stuff. This big, massive guy, handsome, who looks the part, when they come to anoint him as king officially, he's hiding amongst the stuff. And I thought about this for myself. I'm like, when God comes knocking on my door and he's looking for me to fulfill some role, some calling, am I going to be hiding amongst the stuff and saying, actually, I, 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 no, no, get, get somebody better to do that. You can't choose me. And here he is, hiding amongst the stuff. Too small. Not physically, but inside he feels too small. Too busy, maybe, <laughs> for some of us. Too scared. And at 30 years old, at 30 years old, Saul became king and he ruled for 42 years. But there's a hint 
in the early days that's not always well in Saul's life because Saul seemed to be concerned about what other people thought about him. That really is a sneer for so many people. He seems to have a low opinion of himself. And Samuel, even Samuel himself, recognized this later on. He says, though you were once small in your own eyes. That's what he said to him later on once things have happened. You see, there's a difference between low self-esteem and humility. We can look as if we're a humble person. But actually, it's about our poor view of ourselves. Who has God created you to be? God has created you to be a particular person. Then he goes on to say, I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Insecure, fearful. And so when we look at Saul at the beginning of his life, he looks the part, he's this, you know, this amazing guy who, who's going to be king, he's anointed. Samuel recognizes uh, the gifting in him, recognizes that God has anointed him, and all these great things happen. And then in the middle part, we read on 1 Samuel 11, we read about Saul's uh, victory over the Ammonite king Nahash. I don't know if you remember Ron sharing a word with us about Nahash. Nahash was the guy who had said, well, you know, I'll let you guys live if you gouge out all your right eyes and stuff like that. And it's like, and, and, and Saul gets wind of this and he, he goes into battle against Nahash and he wins a decisive victory. And, and you know, if, if Saul had a CV, right? If Saul had a CV, these early wins would have looked really good in his CV. It's like, wow, big guy, looks great. Defeated Nahash. Where, where for this guy? He's, he's the king. But the problem is something began to creep into Saul's thinking. And let me say that things don't always like come right away, bang, there it is. We know what's happening here. Sometimes, sometimes things can creep into our thinking and we can be influenced by things over a period of time so that we're not aware of what's happening. Think about it. The, the, the enemy, the devil is subtle. And I, I use that word creeping intentionally. And we need to guard our hearts all the time. Saul's successor, David, wrote Psalm, wrote many of the Psalms, wrote the Proverbs, and where we read about guarding our heart. And again, Saul is facing the Philistines. Before he went into battle, he had to wait on Samuel to offer a sacrifice to God. But Samuel seems to be running late. And this is what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. He has to wait and the prophet coming, and he appears to be running late. However, what Saul does next is so rash, so impulsive, and it's disobedient to God. He makes the sacrifice himself where in actual fact, he should have just waited that little bit longer for Samuel to arrive. But the problem is his men begin to scatter. He's saying, we need to take control of this situation. Things are starting to look a wee bit crazy here. And he took control of the situation himself. But this is what Saul said. He came, sorry, Samuel said, he comes along and he says, what have you done? Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? When you've done something that's wrong and somebody in authority, maybe a parent comes along and says, what have you done? What have you done now? <laughs> Can you not get anything right? And then Samuel says to him, you've acted foolishly. And he did, because Saul disobeyed the command that God had given him. There was another occasion where Saul was trapped by his own words. Think about this. He had said that everybody was going to fast and nobody had to eat until uh, there was a particular uh, victory. And, of course, we read that his son Jonathan uh, ate some honey and everything started going pear-shaped. And they're like, well, something's wrong here. Let's find out what it is. And, you know, they actually came down to it was either Saul or Jonathan. They cast lots and the lot fell to Jonathan. And it's like, well, Jonathan, what have you done? And he says, well, I ate some honey. And what's wrong with that? But the problem is Saul had been so busy trying to impress people that he made this big pronouncement 
And he came under that pronouncement himself. He had to eat his own words. And he said, well, we're going to have to kill Jonathan. Pride, sheer pride. He had said something that God had never intended them to say. And because it came to pass, he had to eat his own words. But Saul, Saul's men rescued Jonathan from him. What an embarrassing situation to do something so rash and foolish. And we read that God wasn't pleased with Saul. 1 Samuel 15, 10 and 11, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And we read that Samuel was troubled and cried out to the Lord all that night. I'm grieved. I never want to hear that about me. I never want to hear that about you, where God is grieved with our behavior, grieved with the things that we've done that are wrong. And it's in about this time, we read this in the very following verse, early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, uh, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. Sorry, a different translation from the one that's on the screen. Here is a man, big guy, handsome, tall, looks the part, has a great start. But here he is, setting up a monument to his own honor. Things are going wrong round about him. And rather than dealing with things that are wrong, what does he do? He's trying to promote his own public image. Saul disobeyed God. Saul was more concerned about what people thought about him than what God thought. And Saul was more concerned with the outward show, his own image, than he was about what God wanted to show him. He was trying to build his kingdom rather than seeking God's kingdom. And this is what Samuel says in 1 Samuel 15, 17. Although you were once small in your own eyes, you, uh, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And somebody has said, it's not how you start that's important, it's how you finish. And Saul didn't finish well. And listen to his confession. I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. The, uh, and Samuel had to deliver this word to him. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. I can't think of anything worse than for God to reject us. But Saul sinned because he was afraid of the people. Saul's sin led to God's rejection of him as king. But even here, we see a strange thing. Rather than Saul repenting, this is what he says in verse 30, I have sinned, but... Please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Rather than repent and deal with the thing that's wrong, he's still concerned about his public image. How he looks to other people is more important than actually dealing with the issues of the heart, the things that are wrong. And unfortunately, that's the way it is with many people in our society today. You just need to turn on your TV and look at the news, yeah? How many leaders are struggling with issues of integrity and rather than deal with those issues, they're more concerned with papering over the cracks. They're more concerned with public image. They're more concerned with what people think about them than dealing with the issues. And it's not just the leaders of our country because that affects the people of the country because we lack any integrity when we begin to go down those roads. Was it Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And that includes coming under God's judgment. Coming under God's eye of scrutiny. I want God to look at my life and to scrutinize it and to say, you need to sort this, you need to sort that, and you need to sort that. And I'll say, thank you. Give me the strength to sort this, this, and this. And help me to walk in the way that you want me to walk in. 
As we draw this message to a close, we think about Saul and the ending of his life. God had rejected him, and he'd also led Samuel to anoint a new king. And this was before David had killed Goliath. Imagine the king of Israel sitting in his tent, surrounded by his army, surrounded by his army, and here's this young whippersnapper called David, just a wee guy, pretty handsome, going out to face the giant with just a sling and five stones. And the king of Israel, Saul, sitting in his tent, who had the power and the authority and the ability to deal with his enemy and to do something about it. This young guy called David. <laughs> a young whippersnapper. And this is what it goes on to say. Listen to this. After David has killed Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 through to 9, when the men were returning home after David killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul to sing uh, with singing and dancing, with joyful songs, Obviously, that wasn't during the times of COVID. I thought that was funnier myself, but there you go. With tambourines and lutes, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. What is it going to say? I'll put it up on the screen, hopefully. Yep. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And verse 9 says, And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. From now on, Saul spent his life in competition with this young short whippersnapper called David. And it's such an unhealthy way to live. And we can see clearly that Saul becomes this driven man, driven by his own insecurities, driven by the fault lines that run through his heart, the things that he could have and should have dealt with. And we find that these things begin to motivate him. And Saul eventually turns his energy into chasing down this young whippersnapper called David and taking his life. In fact, David spared Saul's life on two occasions. Later again, Saul faced the Philistines and it says that the Lord had left him. And when he looked for God's guidance, there was none. And so he consulted a witch. He consulted a medium. Something which he himself had banned one of the right things that he'd done. Because he needs to hear the voice of God. But he goes about it all the wrong way. And later we read that when Saul is in battle against the Philistines, that things go horribly wrong. He gets wounded by an arrow from one of the Philistines. And rather than die at the hands of his enemy, what does he do? He asks his servant to run him through. And the servant says, I can't do it. And so he takes his own life. He falls in his own sword. And then the servant can't bear to live with himself having seen his master do this, and he falls in his sword as well. The, the end is utterly tragic. Why? Because there are fault lines running through Saul's life that he never dealt with. And our fault lines are where our restless present meets our unresolved past. You see, looking on, we would have probably said that Saul was the man. Samuel did that. And he was the man at one point in time. He looked like the right guy. But there, there, there were these internal fault lines running through his life that he never gained personal victory over. I wonder, do you see yourself in Saul? Can you see yourself? Can you put yourself into Saul's shoes and say, actually, I can see myself there. Can you see where your restless present meets your unresolved past? Those places where when there's that friction, 
The friction causes a reaction, and the reaction can be catastrophic. And I see three primary fault lines in Saul's life. Three primary fault lines. One is insecurity. The first one, and I think it's what runs through and begins to drive the others. The fault line of fear. As he's scared of what people think about him. Scared to, to act. Scared to wait on Samuel the priest arriving. And then we see this fault line of jealousy in his life as this young guy called David comes along. You see, Saul appeared to start well and he had some really good victories earlier on. He had some good wins, but he never dealt with that fault line of insecurity. And that fault line of insecurity led to a fault line of fear. That fault line of fear led to a fault line of jealousy, which would cause Saul to have these outbursts of rage where he would lift up a javelin and he would throw it at David and David would just narrowly miss it. And that's the type of person that Saul became. I don't want to follow a leader like Saul. I don't want to be a leader like Saul. I don't want to be in a church which has people like Saul in it unless they're prepared to say, actually, yeah, that's me. Lord, help me to deal with that. And when it comes to developing godly character, only those who are prepared to see will actually find. Jesus said, seeking you will find. If we're looking for the wisdom of God for our lives, we'll find it. He will give it, and he will show us. I wonder, where do you feel, where do you experience the deep inner restlessness today? What situations trigger it? And can I encourage you to stop looking for it in other people and start to look for it in yourself? I've been in church for 53 years now. And I've heard so many sermons and so many messages. And I'm so aware of the times when in my own life I've been listening to the preacher preach and thinking, that applies to that guy. Or that applies to that girl. And all the time, all the time I've missed what God was trying to say to me. He's saying, actually, if you will listen, it is for you. And there are some lessons I wish I wish I'd learned so much earlier in my life. That's why I said to the young people back then, don't waste time. Your time is your life. Make the most of it. And some people remain blind to their character flaws their whole life because they're not willing to see. And then one day, one day, people will read the book of your life. And when they begin to open up the chapters of your life, what will they see? I wonder if you think about your life like a book and somebody reading it after you're gone and they read through the pages and they get to the introduction and think, oh, this is really great. They're going to do fantastic. And then they get to the middle and they go, oh, what's happening here? Why, why is this happening? We never saw this one coming. And then they get to the end and they go, oh my goodness. And as they think about the whole book, they go, wait a minute. See if you go back to chapter two. See if they did that differently. That would have changed that whole thing all the way through the story of the book. And that's what it's like with us. God gives us the opportunity as we sit under messages, as we read God's word day by day, to see the things in ourselves that we need to sort out. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying all this because I applied the message to myself. I've been applying the message to myself. I've been asking God to come and show me the things that I need to deal with. Remember the prayer, the two people who prayed in the temple and Jesus caught an eye on them? And there was the Republic, the, not the Republican, sorry. Oops. <laughs> sorry, the publican and the sinner. And this guy gets up and he's praying and it's like, oh Lord, you know, you know, we've been doing really great, but I, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. And then the guy over there, he, he, he can't even get up to pray. He's just like, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus points this out. The one who's praying that humble prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner, is the one who gets the, the recognition in a good way. Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand 
and hands to put into practice the things that you show us. As I really do finish off this message today, I wonder if we're brave enough to pray the prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139, in those two closing verses. I wonder if we're brave enough to pray that prayer and mean it. You see, it's all about eternal life. It's all about God dealing with us in the private world. And as I read recently, I think I put a post on social media, like there's your external world and your, your kind of private world I talked about. But what I was reading says there's your external world, your private world, and then there's, there's your secret world. There's that bit that nobody else knows about but you and God. And we invite God in. And I, I'm going to read the words of this psalm. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It doesn't say to me, search Robert, oh God, and know his heart. <laughs> Test him and see if there's any anxious thoughts in him. See if there's any offensive way in him and lead him in the way everlasting. We're not praying it for other people. We're praying it for ourselves. We're praying it for ourselves. And it's a brave prayer to pray. And if we pray that, and we're willing to listen to God speak to us, what can happen when he shows us things and we begin through his power to deal with them, our lives become transformed and we become the people that God wants us to be. What is the church? We are the church. And when our characters begin to reflect those of Jesus, then we become a church that can begin to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. What I'm talking about today is so basic and so elementary, but actually putting into practice the simple things can have such a profound effect. Let's just pray as we finish off today. And I'm going to invite us to pray that prayer. And you can repeat these words to yourself, into your heart, and pray these words after me. If you pray this and mean it, be prepared to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and do something about it. Let's just read these words again as a prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we recognize that there will come a day where we will stand before you in judgment, where we will be called to give an account for our lives. And Father, I, I confess just now that I would much rather you came and showed me these things now and give me an opportunity to deal with them than wait until that day where you need to draw attention to it. Because Father, we, we know that that day when we live with you, in your immediate presence, in heaven, whatever that looks like, there will not be a place where sin will be allowed to be present. And so, Father, we want to just deal with that in our lives today. And so, Father, we ask that you come and search us, test us, know us, show us, help us to hear your voice. And Father, for those who've maybe never made that invitation to invite you into their lives, Father, we pray that this would be the day where they do that. To invite the Holy Spirit in and begin to open things up and show each of us in our lives those things which we need to bring before you and surrender to you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would come. If you've never made a decision to become a Christian, then today I want to invite you to just pray this prayer and invite God into your life. And he might come with a big searchlight, but it's, it's really to help you at the end of the day. And just repeat this prayer after me into your own heart. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died for me. I thank you that his blood was shed for me 
to make me clean, to forgive me, to heal me, to set me free. And I invite you in today. Forgive me of my sin. Make me clean. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, we just pray your blessing over this congregation. Lord, we ask that you would lead us in the way everlasting. Father, may our ears be open to hear all that you want to say to us. Father, may we know your presence in ever-increasing measure. Lord, we pray for those who are sick and need a touch in their bodies. Lord, that you would bring healing. Lord, that there would be that manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their situation. And Lord, that you'd bless us as we go out into this week. May we know your presence with us, guiding us, leading us, teaching us, discipling us, that you may be glorified in us. In his name we ask. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you, everyone. Lord bless your families, and I hope that you have a great week ahead. Amen.